Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Been There, Read That podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Batty, and this is brought to you by ChristianResearcher.com. have a special episode today where we have our first guest interview. Uh, in the studio we have my father, who's also a gospel preacher, Brother George Batty, and we're going to talk to him about the book of Revelation today. He's been doing some work along those lines, uh, getting ready to write a commentary, and so we wanted to tap into a little bit of his knowledge that he has and ask him some questions regarding the book. Um, Dad, tell us first of all where you are in the, the process of writing your book and uh, kind of some of the work you've been doing. Okay, well, Brother Alan Bailey is the general editor and owner of Contending for the Faith Commentaries on the New Testament, and he asked me if I would write the volume on the book of Revelation. He asked me this several years ago, and, and I agreed to do that although I needed to do a lot of research before I was ready to do any writing. So far, I've written a rough draft on chapter 1. I've gotten the first 19 verses of that chapter written as a rough draft. I'm hung up on the last verse that I'm still working on. And recently, Brother Joe Norton, who is the editor, uh, put a fire under me and told me that I need to get busy writing. He wanted me to finish up the first chapter within a couple of months come down, sit down with him, and and let's do some editing on the first rough draft. And so um, that's where we're at as of February the 18th, 2019. Okay. So not a whole lot of writing taking place just yet, but quite a bit of research being done. Yes. And um, also, I've been preaching a series on Revelation so far, and uh, I've preached it seven times at seven different congregations. And this has been a real learning experience, especially because when brethren come to me, brethren and sisters, they come with questions, they come with comments and suggestions. And all of that has been been very, very helpful in me helping to formulate in my own mind how I think the book of Revelation should be approached. You recently gave that material at the Green Oaks Church of Christ down in Arlington, Texas, and delivered some new material that you haven't always delivered in that series and that was audio recorded i believe it's put on their website at greenoakschurchofchrist.com and also brother matthew barnes was there video recording it and put it online with the christian repository that he he runs right so that's if you haven't checked that out i'd encourage you to check out that material and kind of send some feedback uh, to george as well as we get started here, um, people are approaching the book of Revelation for the first time, maybe don't have much background on the book itself and the different views. I thought it would be helpful for our listeners to go through kind of a, a survey of the different approaches people have taken to the book of Revelations and talk about some of the the pros and the cons of those positions, th- things to be aware of, and kind of where you're leaning towards at this point. Okay, well, let me give a little bit of history on how different people have approached the book of Revelation as far as trying to interpret it. A very, very old approach is called amillennialism. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, 
who lived in the early 400s, A.D. 400s. He wrote a book called City of God. And in this book, he took an amillennialist position. And amillennialism means not a literal millennial reign of Christ or not a physical reign of Christ. So he took the position that the thousand-year reign that was mentioned in Revelation chapter 20 was not a literal thousand years. It just meant a long, long period of the Lord's reign. And it was not a physical reign on this earth as a physical kingdom of the earth. And that, of course, fits with what Jesus said in John chapter 18, verse 36, when he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. So that's the position that Augustine Hippo took. I believe it's the correct position to take. Well, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But eventually, as time went on, the medieval Catholic Church arose during medieval times. It, it ruled over the, uh, all of Europe, and it was very oppressive. Uh, it was very evil. And eventually, the Reformation movement began with Martin Luther when he nailed his 95 thesis on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And the Reformation movement began. Eventually, Martin Luther and other reformers came up with, they invented the continuous historical interpretation. And this invented interpretation of Revelation basically said that the Pope is the Antichrist and the Catholic Church is the harlot woman of Revelation chapter 17. And this became very popular and it, and it just seemed like, wow. You know, this is like a hand fitting inside of a glove. It just, these reformers would choose certain historical events and characteristics of the Catholic Pope and the Catholic Church, and they would make it fit with what Revelation was saying, and and voila, it just looked like a hand fitting in a glove. Now, Alexander Campbell borrowed from this approach to the book of Revelation, and he had a debate with a Catholic scholar named Purcell. And in the introductory material of the Campbell-Purcell debate, Alexander Campbell wrote this on January 12, 1837. He said that the Catholic Church is the Babylon of John, the man of sin of Paul, and the empire of the youngest horn of Daniel's sea monster. And so Alexander Campbell subscribed to this basic position of interpreting Revelation, as the Pope being the Antichrist and the Catholic Church being the harlot woman and so forth. Well, in response to these reformers who were going around, these reformers were having a lot of success in convincing people that, oh, wow, the Catholic Pope is the Antichrist and so forth. Well, in response, the Catholic Church held the Council of Trent. And the Council of Trent was designed basically by the Catholic Church as a game plan to counteract the reformers. And so on August 15th, 1534, this is back uh, in the days of the early Reformation movement, there was a Catholic named Ignatius of Loyola. He lived from 1491 to 1556, and he founded the Society of Jesus. And this is known as the Jesuits. So this is the beginning of the Jesuit priest section of the Catholic Church. At the Council of Trent, uh, the papal leaders and the Jesuits 
brainstormed about how to counteract Protestantism and, and how to bring defectors back to the mother church. And so behind closed doors, they decided this was to be done not only through the Inquisition and torture, but also through theology. And so there were two very intellectual Jesuit priests that were chosen and who rose to the challenge to come up with some kind of counterattack to the reformers. And one of these scholars was named Louis de Alcazar. He lived from 1554 to 1613, and he was from Seville. And the other scholar was Francisco Ribera, who lived from 1537 to 1591. He was from Salamanca. And anyway, their strategies were uh, opposite of one another. Alcazar decided to apply the Bible's antichrist prophets to the very ancient past. He became known as a preterist, saying that all of Revelation was discussing things that were in the very distant past, and has all come to pass, and none of it applies anymore today. And the other, Ribera, Francisco Ribera, he said everything about Revelation was in the distant future, and none of it has come to pass yet. And so this became the positions of the Roman Catholic Church, even though they were contradictory to each other, that became their defense against these reformers. And so uh, let's talk about these two Catholic positions that, that were invented. First of all, let's talk about the position of Francisco Ribera, who, who said everything is in the distant future. This eventually became known as premillennialism. And premillennialism can actually now be broken down into two different groups. There is historical premillennialism, and a very popular scholar that holds this position is George Eldon Ladd. And the other position is called dispensational premillennialism. And the two popular authors of this would be John Walverd and Dwight Pentecost. We could throw uh, John MacArthur into that as well. Would it be fair to say that historical premillennialists, though wrong, are not near as bad, per se, as the dispensationalists? That's right. Dispensational premillennialism is very, very dangerous. It, it will lead people absolutely away from the truth. What dispensationalism says is that the Jews are God's special chosen people even to this very day. And that Jesus came to bring a physical kingdom to the earth when he came the first time. But surprisingly, God was caught off guard. And to his surprise, the Jews rejected Jesus as a king. And so we had to bring in plan B, which was the church. You cannot believe this and still be saved. You end up being lost because you view the Lord's church as plan B. It was not the Lord's original intention, and that's false. God cannot be taken off guard. It was not to his surprise. And so that's a very, a very dangerous position, dispensational premillennialism. Historic premillennialism says that the Jews are not God's special chosen people anymore. The church is God's special people. And within the church, there are faithful Jews and Gentiles. As long as they humble themselves and obey the gospel and become members of the Lord's church, they can be saved. And so historic 
premillennialism is not nearly as dangerous and radical as dispensational premillennialism. And dispensationalism has only been around since about 1830 when John Darby invented this system of thought. But before 1830, there was no such thing as dispensationalism. Okay, So that's a, a very recently contrived position, although it is the most popular position that people hear about these days because of uh, people like Hal Lindsey and John MacArthur, Jenkins and uh, LaHaye, who wrote the Left Behind series. Uh, they, they get the most press, but uh, historic premillennialism has been around a lot longer than them. Within Church of Christ circles, there's been debates through the years about premillennialism and could you name for us like one specific debate that deals with historic dispensational, uh, historic premillennialism and then another one that would deal with dispensational premillennialism? As I understand, uh, whenever Foy Wallace was on his tirade stamping out premillennialism, he was dealing mainly with historic premillennialism, like in the Neil Wallace debate. But whenever we're talking about dispensational premillennialism, you have the, um, uh, the fellow down there in Fort Worth or Ball the the rice debate the uh, the elephant rice the elephant debate race, rice debate yeah okay so I, now I didn't I did not realize what you just said okay. about Foy Wallace yes okay so there is this big difference between the two <laughs> schools of premillennialism okay so then the the premillennial position was one option that the Catholic Church chose to counteract the reformers the other option was preterist the preterist view. And preterists today can be broken down into two groups as well. And one of them is not as bad as the other, just like one position of premillennialism is not as bad as the other. The two kinds of preterist view is the partial or moderate preterists versus the full or consistent or hyper preterists. Those are the two schools of thought in preterism. Partial preterism or moderate preterists would be authors like Kenneth Gentry, Albertus Peters. Those are a couple of authors. Another one, just from Church Christ background, would be Foy Wallace Jr. He took a basically a yes. preterist approach in his commentary on Revelation. That is correct. That's that's absolutely right. And then the full or consistent or hyper preterist. Those are the dangerous guys. That would be people like Max Keen or Don Preston. So the the difference between them is a partial preterist, a moderate preterist. These men believe that the book of Revelation basically is describing the downfall of the city of Jerusalem when it was attacked by the Romans in AD 70. However, the moderate preterist still believes the book of Revelation envisions a second coming of the Lord, an end of the world, a judgment day, and a final heaven for the saved and eternal loss in hell for the, for the uh, wicked. Whereas a full or consistent uh, hyper-preterist, uh, men like Max King and Don Preston, they say that everything in the Bible, every prophecy of Scripture was all fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. So the judgment day, the second coming of Christ, heaven and hell, everything. There is no second coming of the Lord like has been generally viewed. No end of the world, no judgment day, nothing is all fulfilled in AD 70. And that is uh, wrong. Because, uh, the 
the Apostle Paul warned Timothy about men like Hymenaeus and Philetus who say that the resurrection is already past. Well, that's what these hyperpreterists are also teaching is the resurrection is already past. And that's a dangerous, ungodly position, and it'll cause people to be lost. Historically speaking, uh, what positions have churches of Christ held and what do you feel like pose the greatest threats to the brotherhood right now? Well, typically, most of the older preachers in the past have held to the continuous historical interpretation of Revelation like uh, Alexander Campbell held to, Martin Luther, and those reformers. And they, they looked at the Catholic Church as being the crux of the matter in the book of Revelation. And I think that today uh, there there is an awakening that, that the book of Revelation was not written just for Western Christians who lived in Europe, but that the book of Revelation was written for all of God's people throughout all history in all parts of the world. And it includes more than just medieval Catholicism. Uh, medieval Catholicism, of course, would be included in uh, by way of application. When you take the book of Revelation, there's two things to remember, uh, interpretation and application. Interpretation is asking the question, what did Revelation mean to the original recipients, like the seven churches in Asia? Whereas application means, how can it apply to different situations that arise in world history? So can Revelation apply to medieval Catholicism? Yes, absolutely, it can apply to that. But was Revelation predicting the rise and fall of medieval Catholicism? And the answer is no, it was not predicting that. Can it apply to Nazi Germany and the persecution that arose to Christians in Nazi Germany? Yes, it can apply to that. Was Revelation predicting Nazi Germany? No. So there's a difference between interpretation and application. Okay. One of the things I wanted to go through before we finish today is uh, you've talked about premillennialism and amillennialism, and both those center around the discussion of what is the millennium. Uh, another one that's kind of thrown in there that we don't talk about so much anymore, but was very dominant in churches of Christ for a while, was the concept of postmillennialism. Yes. So if you could just kind of give us a brief uh, survey, if you will, of the difference between postmillennialism, amillennialism, and premillennialism, and how that works in conjunction with the millennium reign. Okay, well, that's a good question. First of all, premillennialism means that the second coming of Jesus comes before the millennial reign. That's why it's pre-millennialism. Post-millennialism means that Jesus comes after the millennial reign is over. And so if, if you're a pre-millennialist and Jesus comes before the thousand-year reign, that means you're expecting an earthly reign. You're expecting um, a thousand-year physical earthly reign. Whereas if you're a post-millennialist and Jesus comes after the millennial reign, then you're going to believe in a spiritual reign of Christ, not a physical reign on the earth. And that's going on right now. and has been going on since the cross of Christ, since his resurrection. So... Many uh, of our older preachers, like Alexander Campbell especially, believed in classical postmillennialism. And what this means is he believed that the Lord was going to come again after the millennial reign. But classical postmillennialism says that the gospel is being listened to and obeyed, and the world is getting more and more Christianized 
and evangelized. Things were getting better and better and better. And that was what was happening in the days of Alexander Campbell. He would go and hold a, a gospel uh, revival, and hundreds and hundreds of people would accept the gospel and get baptized. And he was thinking that before long, all of the United States is going to be converted. They'll all be Christians. We'll go into other nations. Other nations will all be Christianized. And then the Lord comes again at the end of this great spiritual millennial reign of the Lord. But eventually this affected Campbell's views on fellowship because eventually what happened is not so many people were getting baptized anymore. And pretty soon disciples began to debate with one another. Is it right to use instrumental music? Is it right to have Bible classes? Is it right to have missionary societies? Is it right to have individual cups in the communion? And now not so many people are getting baptized and disciples are fussing with one another and arguing and debating with one another. And Campbell was afraid that we're getting off course and we're debating so much now that we're going to prevent the Lord from coming back again. And so he began to, to become very liberal on his views of Christian worship and Christian fellowship. And he was saying, let's forget about what the Bible says about how to worship and how to conduct the work of the church. And let's just get people baptized and let's just help the church grow. And, and let's forget about all these other things. And each man does what is right in his own eyes. He became very, very liberal in his views of worship and fellowship. And his main point was to try to get Jesus to come back again by getting everybody baptized. So the premillennialist is basically waiting for the power of Christ to begin whenever he returns. And the postmillennialist is saying through the, the spiritual reign of the church, we're going to usher in the Lord's return. But what, what's the amillennialist saying? Okay, the amillennialist is sort of a negative <laughs> view. And this is saying that the Lord is reigning right now, but instead of like classic postmillennialism says things get better and better and better, and almost all the world becomes Christianized, amillennialism says things get worse and worse and worse. And fewer and fewer people will listen to the gospel and obey the gospel. And eventually, when it looks like that the church is on the verge of being completely stamped out by Satan, then the Lord comes to the rescue at the very end of time, and the world comes to an end. And so that's the picture, I believe, that the book of Revelation is teaching. Not that things are going to get better and better and better, but rather things are going to get worse and worse and worse as time goes on, just like it did in the days of Noah, in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Things just got worse and worse till you couldn't find eight people uh, to get on the ark or eight people to be saved in the city uh, or 10 people to be saved in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's why I believe that our brethren should take the amillennial position because I believe that's the picture that's being painted in the book of Revelation. There's this growing concept of persecution, but there's also the view from heaven's point of view that Christ is in control of things and that he will come back and rescue or, or save his, his church and those who remain faithful to the end. So you have that word of encouragement there, even true. though it is a gloomy background. That's true. All right. Um, before we wrap this up, I want to go ahead and give you an opportunity to tell the folks about your website and some of what you do on your website. Okay. Well, I, I have a little website. That's uh, the address is willofthelord.com. 
Uh, there are no spaces between those words, willofthelord.com. And on my website, I just uh, post various articles. Most of the time, I post not only an audio version of a study, but as well uh, notes that can be downloaded. And you can follow along and, and read along. And none of my material is copyrighted. If somebody finds that it's useful and they would like to use it, they're more than welcome to use that material. They don't need to give credit to me. Um, and, and I just hope that it's there's some material there that would be helpful to some brethren in understanding Scripture a little bit better or maybe help them to teach a little better. We appreciate that. I appreciate the work you're putting in with the website and for stopping by and doing this segment with us. Hopefully we're going to do another segment where we can talk about some books related to uh, the book of Revelation, some good recommend, recommended reads. But for now, we're going to sign off. Appreciate you listening in. Be sure to check out uh, George's website, willofthelord.com. Also check out christianresearcher.com. If you have questions that you would like to submit uh, regarding today's discussion, feel free to send those to christianresearcher at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to try to field those questions and get back to you shortly. Thanks for listening in, and join us again next week for another message. There is our sacrifice. He paid the, he paid the price, the price. He paid it all upon the cross. No longer bound by sin or with eternal loss. He took my sin and washed it away. When I was immersed in that watery grave, I heard that gospel call because he paid it all.